John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And at verse 14, And the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John starts his gospel out there, and you, you, you might see the familiarity of the phrases there because actually it reflects what, what's written right at the beginning of Genesis. Uh, Genesis opens up in the beginning, doesn't it? And, uh, and that wonderful um, discourse that goes on from that about the creation and about God bringing things into being. And John says a similar thing as he starts out into his gospel, um, which I, for me um, has all sorts of things going on there. Um, it, it makes me start to think about, well, this, this is clearly something which is the plan and the purpose of God, which has been scheduled by God. It's a continuation of what God is doing um, in the earth in terms of drawing out of people for himself and, and uh, all that, that wonderful stuff. Um, but it also recognizes who Jesus is, the Word. The Word was made flesh. It, 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 um, and that kind of language would have been uh, picked up in a wider context. So you would expect that John writing to a Jewish audience, if he writes words that kind of reflect uh, the beginning of Genesis, then if you were a good God-fearing Jew and you knew the Scriptures, you would pick up on that straight away. This sounds just like Genesis, yes? But uh, when he starts talking about Jesus as the Word and talking about the Word becoming flesh, it starts to key into a wider audience. It starts to key into a wider understanding. And many of the Gentiles reading this would have straight away hooked into the fact that actually there is something special and significant going on here. That this is not just any person, any man we're talking about, but this is the Son of the Living God. This is uh, actually quite a spectacular event because um, God is entering into the world in the flesh. Um, and in that, uh, in that last verse there, verse 14, it says that he dwelt among us. And uh, now it might say something different in your translation. If your translation says he tabernacled amongst us, then you've actually got <laughs> pretty much a direct translation of the word that's there in the Greek. Um, he dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. What is that all about? Essentially, John wants us to see this. And, and again, there's great reflections of things that go on in the Old Testament in, term, in, in terms of the journey that God takes uh, people on. And I'm going to refer to that in a minute. But uh, this whole thing about dwelling or tabernacling literally means that God comes and he puts up a tent for us to meet in with him. 
It literally means that God comes and lives alongside us. Let that one sink in, okay? It literally means that the creator of the universe comes down and puts on human flesh and lives right next to us in the same tent. Hello? <laughs> you couldn't get any closer than that, really. In, in the Greek, it's the word skeno, which means to pitch a tent, to encamp, to tabernacle, to dwell in a tent with us. Hello? Now, if that doesn't send a shiver down your spine, you're not getting it yet. Okay? So let me just say it again. You know, the, the Son of God, the creator of the universe, okay? The one and only, as, as he's described, um, I think it's in Hebrews that he's described as the one and only. I think Paul might call him that as well somewhere. The one and only, the Son of the living God the creator and sustainer of the universe. Jesus, the Lord, comes and moves in with us. Hello? Comes and moves in with us. That's just spectacular. That's just, you know, there is, it means that there is never a time or a place where you are out of the presence of God. It means there is never a situation where God has left you or forsaken you. No matter how dire the circumstances, no matter how difficult. Because he's right there in the same tent with you. Hello? It doesn't matter uh, what the party is about. He'll be there <laughs> celebrating with you. Because he's in the same tent. It doesn't matter how big the questions are. You can find answers that will satisfy you because he's there in the same tent. I've never been a big fan of camping. And, um, you know, really. The last, the last time I went camping, and I remember it vividly, was, was when um, the band that I was with, we were playing at the Glastonbury Festival and uh, you, you couldn't get digs because of the size of the festival and the number of people that go. You couldn't get digs anywhere. So the only option we had was we knew a guy, a Christian farmer, whose farm was just at the back of the site where the, where the festival is. And um, he let us camp for free in his field and he let us use their bathroom and everything. But they'd no, they'd no spare rooms or anything. So we had to camp. And the biggest thing I remember about that wonderful weekend was having to clear my tent of earwigs every night before I could go to sleep. I have no idea where they came from. I had no idea that earwigs existed in such great numbers. But that was my experience. So tents didn't, you know, and it was kind of one of these, it was actually a two-man tent. There was only me sleeping in it. But, you know, it, there, was, there wasn't room to stand up, but you had to get dressed lying down. Well, I mean, what's that all about? It was really just... It was not a great experience. But you see here, when John is talking about um, Jesus dwelling with us, Jesus tabernacling with us, the tent that he's talking about is a reflection of the tabernacle that they carried through the wilderness with them. That was a big tent. It was a big tent that everybody could get in. 
Every had opportunity, everybody had opportunity to, to enter into this tent, get into the presence of God, uh, speak to God, hear his voice, be touched by the presence of God. Everybody had that opportunity. This was a glorious tent. This was a tent that, that was built to God's specification and was filled with amazing things. Uh, was built by people who were incredible crafts, craftspeople. And, you know, the um, gold and silver and, and tapestries. And, you know, it was just, you can only start to imagine really what an incredible place it was. And this is what John is kind of reflecting here in those opening verses. That God um, has this wonderful place. It's his tent. And it's a glorious place. You can't buy one of these at Black's, okay? You can't buy one of these at Go Outdoors because they don't have them, okay? Uh, and we are invited to live in that tent with him. Hello? Uh, what a glorious thing, isn't it? Incredible. He is. We'll come to that later. Hold that thought. Okay. Um, I'm the one preaching. I'm the one preaching. He is. Okay. Let's talk about it afterwards. Yeah? Let me get on because we're going to be here all day. And you'll probably preach better than I do, which is not going to do me any good. Okay. Okay. So, there, there is a journey through the Old Testament that brings us to this point. And actually the journey starts in Genesis chapter 1 with the creation, that God builds a place um, um, for people to live in. Now it doesn't really matter uh, what you think about how that place was built and whether you believe in six literal days or 60 million years. It, uh, the point is that it's a creation of God and that the creation is given for men and women to live in. The pinnacle of his creation is man, and it's given for man to live in. And as man takes up residence in that creation, he begins a journey of knowing God and building a relationship with God. And you get to Abraham, and God starts making promises about the future. He speaks to Abraham about a nation. Abraham can't quite get it. Uh, he, he takes him outside, and, and he has him look up at the stars. You know, when you, when you do that in the UK, you don't really catch the glory of that moment because we don't see that many stars. The other night it was quite clear and you could see, because it was cold, you could see quite a few stars. But even then, um, you know, the, there are better experiences of seeing stars. I'm sure I've shared this before, but in, in, uh, when we go out to Burkina Faso, one of the things that I love to do is... Um, we have dinner with the pastors, which is usually just before we leave. We have dinner with the pastors that we work with. And then after we've had dinner, we bundle into the cars and we head out of the city. Because you can't even see the sky in the city because there's so much dust. All you know is that it's dark. You, know? um, you get out of the city and you get away from the dust and you get right out in the sticks and you switch the car lights out and you can't see your hand in front of your face. Well, at least I, I can't see my hand in front of face. A guy went by me on a bicycle. Okay, um, and uh, I couldn't even see, I heard him, <laughs> okay, I couldn't see him. He clearly had better eyes than me or knew the, the route, like the back of his hand. Um, and it's absolutely pitch black, and then you look up, and I've never seen anything like it anywhere else in the world. The, the stars are just glorious, and it's impossible to count them. 
millions and millions of stars. It's impossible to count them. Uh, this, this incredible you know, canopy lit up by God <laughs> that hangs over the earth uh, is just amazing. And God takes Abraham out, and he will have seen something like that. And he, and he points to the stars, and he says, so shall your offspring be. And, and another step gets taken in this journey of moving towards a people that, that God is calling out to have relationship with, to have to himself. And then you get a bit further down the line, and, and you know the people um, are, are taken into captivity by Egypt. It starts out nice and friendly, but uh, as, as things move on and as, as time wears along, uh, they become the slaves of Egypt rather than the friends of Egypt. And God raises up another man. He raises up Moses. And Moses, um, through that uh, incredible journey that he takes, finishes up in front of Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. Here's the bit I like. Why, why does he want Pharaoh to let the people go? What is the reason that he gives? So that they can go and worship the living God. Because they can't do that in Egypt, surrounded by idols and being slaves and, and everything that goes along with all of that. They can't do that. They've got to get out to a place where they can actually meet with the living God without any disruption, without any distractions and focus on him. And, and um, the, you know, that, that ultimately, of course, is what they do. Pharaoh uh, has his heart changed and he lets them go and they get out. And, and it's on that journey of worship that the tabernacle gets built that God gives instructions for the building of that big tent, the place of worship, the place of, of meeting with God. And the tabernacle gets built, and on we go, until we get to those verses in John, where he says that Jesus, the Son of God, wants to come and tabernacle with us. He wants us part of that journey of knowing and, and meeting God and building relationship with God. He wants to draw us into that place of meeting he wants to draw us into that tent so that we can meet with the living God face to face, so that we can hear his voice, so that we can have our lives touched by him. He wants to dwell among us. He wants to move in. Hello. He wants to occupy. He wants to occupy graciously. Hello. And lovingly and sensitively. Because very often when we think of the word occupy, we think of, um, you know, uh, aggressive takeovers, don't we? We think of conflict. We think of um, people occupying lands that don't really belong to them or they think they should belong to them and the people in them don't. And, you know, you get all that kind of conflict going on. But Jesus wants to occupy the tent, our tent, <laughs> the tent that we are living in. He wants to occupy it. He wants to fill it. With his presence. He wants to talk to us. Hello. On that same uh, wonderful weekend at, at Glastonbury, you know, there was quite a few of us camping in this field. And um, wh when you went to bed at night, so you've probably, those of you who've ever been camping, you'll know this. When you go to bed at night, you, you start to become aware that you're not the only ones who are there camping because other people are having conversations and you can hear every word. You don't get a lot of sleep because, you know, there are some who like to talk until the early hours of the morning and you can hear everything. And you can yell, shut up, but nobody takes any notice. And if you yell it too often, you wake up in the morning, you know, um, gazing at the, uh, the beautiful sky, wondering where your tent has gone, you know. 
So God wants to talk to us. He, he wants us to hear his voice. He wants us to live in that place where we don't just hear his voice once in a while, but actually it's the pattern of our lives that we hear his voice. That whatever decision we have to make, whatever thing we face, we are in the tent with him. And because we're in the tent with him, we can have a conversation about it. And we can hear his voice. You know, for many of us, our devotions become a one-way street. That we read our scriptures and we are blessed by them and we're encouraged by them and we pray, but our prayer is a one-way conversation. And the point of dwelling is that the conversation becomes two-way. The point of dwelling is that the relationship becomes two-way. That we give to him and he gives to us. That we speak to him and he speaks to us. That we ask the question and he gives us an answer. That we tell him our fears and he gives us peace. That we ask him, where on earth are we going? And he says, walk this way. Because he's dwelling with us. Because he wants to communicate with us. It's also the place of comfort. I honestly couldn't count the conversations that I've had with people who are looking for some kind of peace in this world. Um, the lack of peace is absolutely astounding. And one of the reasons that Jesus wants to dwell with us is that he wants to give us peace. Is that he wants to comfort us when we are afflicted. That he doesn't want us to be, uh, in that sense, stressed or strained or panicked or scared. That actually living in the tent with us. I mean, just try and imagine that for a moment. Just try and Im let's imagine a bit better tent than my tent. Let's imagine a tent you could actually stand up in. But just imagine you and Jesus in the tent. And when life gets tough, it's you and Jesus in the tent. When you're feeling a bit insecure, there's you and Jesus in the tent. That when you have questions, it's you and Jesus in the tent. That when you're feeling insecure, it's you and Jesus in the tent. This is what Jesus comes for. This is what he's looking for. This is the outworking of incarnation. That Jesus dwells with man. And now, of course, he dwells with us by his Holy Spirit. But I want you to know it's exactly the same thing. Hello? That then in the flesh, but now by his spirit, it's exactly the same thing. And he wants, he comes to comfort us. He comes to, later, he comes to comfort us. He comes to help us. He comes to direct us. Because, you know, um, actually, Sue and I had dinner with my, um, with my sister and brother-in-law last night. And... Um, we haven't seen a lot of them over the years because he was in the forces and so he's, uh, you know, for the last um, 30 odd years he's, he's been here, there and everywhere around the world but not very often in the UK. And so when we sit, uh, you know, we, when we do get time to sit together, we inevitably visit a little bit of history <laughs> because, you know, over the years we've not really had those conversations. 
And um, as, we're, as we're sitting there talking, I, just, I became happily aware of how much over the years God has spoken to Sue and myself and directed us and helped us in life to get to where we needed to be. And, and as you, you know, that, the conversations like that have um, a great effect of drawing those things out of you when people ask you questions about why did you do this and how did you do that. And, it, and it, you start to think about it and it all starts to roll out and you suddenly start to realize, actually, God helped me. Uh, we'll talk about that later. This is becoming very interactive, this message today, isn't it? <laughs> but, uh, but if he's in the tent, you hear his voice. If, if you are together with somebody in a tent, you hear their voice. You know? And um, the direction, the way that... So God directs you in all sorts of different ways, sometimes through people, sometimes through the scriptures, sometimes just that inner voice of the Holy Spirit guiding us but he's there to take us on a journey he's in the tent because he wants to take us somewhere and and through um through the book of exodus you know when when they're traveling through the wilderness they took the tabernacle with them every time it came to move they pulled up the stakes and they picked up the tent and they took it to wherever their god was taking them next and the first thing they did when they got there was set up the tabernacle again and it was always at the center of the camp because it was the most important thing it was the focus of their lives it was where they met with God and it was where they got their direction from God and he also comes to tabernacle with us to dwell with us to teach us um, it, it's not very often um, people remark on how smart I am And, and of course, <laughs> and of course, there may well be something in that, and I've never quite worked it out. But there are occasions um, when I actually understand stuff, and I don't—I'm not sure why I understand it, or I have a solution to something, and I'm not sure where the solution came from, or somebody asks me a question, and I, I have an answer, and I'm not sure where the answer has come from, and I can tell you actually where it has come from it's because I'm dwelling in a tent with Jesus and the one who has all the answers the one who sees all things and understands all things is right there in the tent with me and when I need to lean on him and get some wisdom I can lean on him and he will give me some wisdom and I don't actually have to be that smart because he is smart and he's in the tent hello He comes to teach. He comes to help us to understand and to make better decisions. He comes to dwell with us, to empower us. To empower us on a, a number of levels. I mean, the first thing is that he empowers us to live the life that he wants us to live. My mum, my when, I, when I first got saved, um, I was 17 years old. I got home from the church youth weekend where I was saved. And when I walked through the door, I mean, within minutes, my mum said to me, who are you and what have you done with my son? Because she knew something was different. She knew that something had changed. She didn't realize in that moment that it was because I'd met Jesus, but that kind of all unfolded as we went along. And then a little further along, um, she, she said to me, because I asked her, you know, why don't you follow Jesus? Why don't you give your life to Jesus? 
And what she said to me was this, I'm going to see if it works for you. It's only, been a, it's only been a couple of weeks. Let's review this in 12 months. Let's review this in two years. Let's see if this is still working for you then. Let's see that this is not a fad. You know, let's see that this is not just a, a, you know, a momentary something or other. Because if it's going to work for you, because she knew what I was like, if it's going to work for you, and it's going to work for you for a couple of years, then clearly there is something in it. And I mean, it literally was about two years later, um, I took my mum to see the worst Christian movie ever made, <laughs> which was one of these apocalyptic end times, you know, um, people disappearing kind of movies because they've been raptured, you know, <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, it, seriously, it, was, it really was probably the worst Christian movie ever made. But I took my mum to see it. And, um, and when we got back uh, afterwards, she, she said to me, she asked that wonderful question, how can you know that you're going to heaven? And that opened up the conversation uh, about Jesus again and, and everything that the cross does for us and, uh, you know, being born again and all of that. But what was clear from the things that she said to me in, in that conversation was that she had been watching for the last couple of years. She had been taking note. And she had seen that everything was different. Everything changed and, and it stayed changed. Now, I want you to know, I don't have the power to make that happen. I don't have the power to change myself and neither do you. If you could make yourself a better person, you would have done it by now. I don't have the power to do that. Left to my own devices, it would just be disaster after disaster. But Jesus is in the tent and he has the power and he gives me the strength and sometimes he gives me the wisdom and he gives me what I need to be what he calls me to be. And my mother had observed that over two years and had run out of arguments. He comes to empower us to be what he wants us to be. He comes to empower us to be what he created us to be. You know, each one of us before the beginning of time were designed on God's sketch pad. He had a plan for us. He knew who we would be. He knew what we would look like. And he created us for a purpose. And Jesus comes to dwell with us in order that we find that purpose. And he empowers us to be the people that he created and designed us to be. He comes to help us in every way conceivable. He comes also to dwell with us, to send us out of the tent from time to time. Life in the tent is glorious, it's wonderful, because Jesus is there. He's dwelling with us. But we can't live the whole of our lives in the tent with Jesus. There are some times when we have to pop out and talk to a few other people and bring them into the tent. Hello? And I, I'm not going to dwell on this for very long, but actually we do need to understand that. That, that Jesus comes, and John says this later in his gospel, Jesus comes so that none should perish. Now, whatever you believe perish means, you know, whatever it is, it can't be good. All right? And Jesus comes so that that should happen to nobody. He comes to seek and save those who are lost. Hello? And when he comes to, to dwell with us, we become part of that plan and that process. And he makes it very clear, doesn't he, in a couple of places, that that's our job. That when he goes back to the Father, that's our job. 
And if we're going to dwell in the tent with Jesus at some point, you know, if it's, if it's going to be real, if it's going to be meaningful, at some point we've got to get out of the tent and go and find a few more people to bring into the party. Hello? Yes? And he comes to dwell with us to finish the story. The story that starts in Genesis, that works all the way through the scriptures, that brings us up to the present day, is the story of God calling out a people for himself. It's the story of God reaching out to a world that needs him and drawing people to him. And there will come a point in that story where he will come back, as we talked about earlier. There's a point in that story where the trumpet sounds and the clouds part and you hear the voice of the archangel and you will see the Lord coming on the clouds. And those who have died um, will be raised up to life and meet with him in the clouds. And those of us who are left will then be gathered up with them for an enormous party who can't even begin to imagine what that looks like. (laughs) Okay, But this great reunion with all of those who were followers of Jesus. We will get caught up in all of that. And it will be the end of this age and the start of the next age and and for us for eternity with Jesus. He, He comes to dwell with us to lead us into the end of the story. I have over the years um, quite often been tempted to think, you know, it's been a couple of thousand years now and um, no sign. And then the Holy Spirit just kind of gives me a prod that says, don't stop believing. Don't stop believing. Because he is coming back. In fact, one of the reasons that John writes his gospel is the fact that because um, John's is the last gospel to be written, and uh, it, it's um, written after the destruction of the temple in AD 70. And he's writing into a context where people are losing faith because the things that Jesus said were going to happen don't seem to be happening, and all of the original witnesses seem to be dying out. And the temple's gone. What on earth do we, where do we now go to worship? Because the temple is destroyed. And John, in the paraclete passages, right in the middle of his, that's paraclete, not parakeet, Pete. Um, Right in the middle of the gospel, the paraclete passages that talk about the Holy Spirit. He wants us to understand that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. And that Jesus is here. And that we, we, we must keep on believing and hoping and waiting for that return. That second coming, the physical return of Jesus. We must... Hang on to that and believe in that. It's very important. So he comes to tabernacle with us, to dwell with us, in order that we can work towards the conclusion of the story. If we want to celebrate the true meaning of Christmas, we have to invite Jesus into the tent. I love some of those old carols that talk about preparing our hearts as a home for him. Because actually, that's exactly what it's all about. If we're going to prepare ourselves properly for Christmas, our heart needs to become his home. Our heart needs to become the tent where we both dwell and have 
that wonderful union and, and fellowship together, to prepare for him a place in our hearts, to tune our ears to the sound of his voice, to allow him to occupy every part of our lives, even the parts that are hard to give up. Hello. And we've all got them. We've all got bits that, you know, for whatever reason, either we enjoy them so much or we're scared to let go or whatever. We've all got parts of our life that where we find it difficult to let Jesus in. And if there's one thing that we need to reflect on as we go through this season and we think about his coming and his dwelling with us is the fact that we need to open ourselves up to let him occupy every part. There should be no part of the tent that he doesn't have access to. We need to not give up on the journey so easily, perhaps, as we have done in the past and take a little detour. We need to get better focused because the living God is dwelling with us. It's an opportunity in this season to establish better communication with him, to review where we're up to, to refresh our thinking. You know, it's a little bit like... Um, it's a little bit like my computer, that um, every now and again, it goes on a bit of a go slow. And every now and again, it, it doesn't, because it's starting to get old now, it doesn't quite do what I want it to do. But if I switch it off, and then switch it on again, it loads all the code in fresh, from scratch. And it works better and faster and does the things that it's supposed to do. Have you got a computer like that? Yeah, some of you are nodding. Yeah. And this is an opportunity. This season is an opportunity for us to reboot. To actually take the time to reflect for a moment and let the software reload and get a fresh view and get everything working again and get the impetus going. Are you with me? Yeah. To move towards maturity, that is to grow in our understanding, not just in our understanding, but in our practice, to move towards maturity. You know, and I want to say this because I have had um, a couple of conversations uh, over the last few weeks um, with people who have actually wanted to tell me how mature they are, and it's usually on the basis of, I've been a Christian for 30 years, therefore I am mature. No, it's nothing to do with time. It's nothing to do with how long. It's to do with your relationship. It's to do with the heart. It's to do with, am I fellowshipping with God in this tabernacle? Am I dwelling with him? Am I hearing his voice? And am I putting into practice the things that he talks to me about? A mature person is not somebody who is a great theologian necessarily. A mature person is somebody who hears the voice of God and follows it. A mature person is somebody who has grown in God because they have worshipped him with a whole heart and they have been changed because of that. It has nothing to do, those things take time, but in reality it has nothing to do with time. It has to do with what's in our hearts. Are you with me? Maturity actually very often doesn't have an enormous amount to do with understanding. Now we do need some understanding because we need to know how these things work. But you don't need a Bible college degree to be mature. Do you get me? Yeah? He comes 
to help us to find trust and to decide on faith. Trust is something um, which you can decide to do, but if you want a you know, real trust can sometimes take time to grow, can't it? But you know, faith is most often a decision. I decide to believe. And there might be all sorts of things that mitigate against that. There might be all sorts of you know, battles in the brain that have to go on for me to, to deal with it like that. But, but I decide to believe. I get out of bed in the morning and I decide to believe. I decide I'm going to follow Jesus. I decide that he is the truth and there is no other. I have to make that decision and that's how faith works. And as we do that, trust grows and deepens and widens and our relationship with him improves and we get on that road to maturity. It's time to take hold of the tools that he gives us. I've put in my notes here, all God's gifts are good. They are. Every gift from God is good. And yet we ignore so easily the things that he gives us. We don't ignore, you know, if he, if he puts money in our pockets and a roof over our head, we're, we're happy about that. We don't ignore that. If he puts good people around us, we celebrate that and we love that. But in 1 Corinthians, there's a list of gifts that God gives us, which most of us happily ignore. Hello? Speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, miracles, wisdom, healing, distinguishing of spirits. There's probably more, but off the top of my head, it's not that easy. Because I'm old. But every gift that God gives is good. So we should encourage ourselves to take a hold of every gift that God gives and engage with them. We need, as we dwell with him, to understand the importance of these things, particularly as we work towards the end of the age, to understand that we are players in the final act of the history of the world, that we each have a part to play, that we each have something to do to make this all work and happen. There's a script to follow and there's a conclusion to be reached. And he comes to dwell with us, to take us on that journey. He comes to dwell with us so that we can live in his presence, so that we can experience what it means to have fellowship with God, have our lives changed. He comes to dwell with us. It's hard to get your head around, isn't it? I'm sharing a tent with the living God. Jesus is in the sleeping bag next to me. It's hard to get your head around. But that is the reality of what John is saying here. He came to dwell among us. He came to make his home amongst us. He came to be there 24-7. And we are supposed to benefit from that. We are designed to enter into that relationship, enter into that space, and to benefit from it. As I was I'm closing now, so don't get worried. As I was thinking about tents, and my thoughts naturally went to the tabernacle, one of the things that I thought about 
that kind of challenged me was that, you know, in the tabernacle, there was a journey into the presence of God, that you had to make your way up the, up the steps, up the, up the mountain towards the temple, that there were outer courts which you had to navigate your way through, which at the time of Jesus were filled with traders and money changers and, and, and people selling paraphernalia for you to use um, in the temple. Then you got into the temple courts and you started to enter the place of worship and it was the place of prayer and offerings and all of that kind of thing. Then you got the, the holy place where you start to get close to the presence of God. But then at the center of the temple, and it was the, the temple was the same uh, design more or less as the tabernacle except it was made from stone rather than fabric. You then had the holy of holies right in the center there where um, the priests ministered in the immediate presence of the living God. And because of Jesus, there is an invitation for us to dwell in that place. There is an invitation for us to dwell in the Holy of Holies, in the immediate presence of the living God, and to stay there, to live in that place with him. And it just set me thinking about, you know, where, where am I in that journey? How far have I made it along that path? Have I settled in the right place? Have I not got as far as the temple because life is busy and hectic and I've not just not really got there? Have I made it into the outer courts and been distracted perhaps by what's going on there, by the markets and everything else that's happening? Have I made it through into the, the temple court and... and Maybe I've got there. Maybe I've um, engaged in the worship. Maybe I've made my offerings. Maybe I've done that. But maybe I've done that and then walked away from that without really meeting with the living God. Maybe I've made it as far as the holy place. And maybe on occasions when the priests have gone backwards and forwards, I've caught a glimpse of Jesus through the curtain. The place where we want to be is in the Holy of Holies, right at the center, where the presence of the living God is, where Jesus dwells. And we have an invitation to be there. And this time of year is a good time to reflect on how far we are on that journey, how close we are to that holy place. And having reflected to do something about it to get us closer. Because the whole point of his coming was that we should dwell with him. He moved into the neighborhood to live with us 24-7. Let's stand. I'm going to pray. If you want one of those uh, maps of the table with my little comments of the temple, with my little comments on them, I've got a few here. Just come and ask and I'll happily give you one. But let's pray. Jesus, what an incredible thing that you would leave the glory of heaven to come and dwell amongst human beings. And we acknowledge, Lord, that we are not worthy of that. We acknowledge that we are all sinners, that we have all, in many different ways, rebelled and let you down and disappointed you. But we celebrate the fact that you have come and you have made the difference, that you have changed that for all of us that you have paid the price of our sin, that you set aside the glory of heaven in order to come down and to be a servant and to give your life as a sacrifice and as an offering for our sakes.
And we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that my sin has been dealt with at the cross. That I can live my life knowing you. That I can live my life in fellowship with you, dwelling together. We say thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And I pray that in this season, when we reflect on these things, that you would help us to draw closer, to see more, to understand more, to get more of our heart joined to you so that we can truly dwell with you and see your purposes achieved in our life, see your kingdom come in this place, see the glory of God set loose over this community. Help us, Jesus. Now I pray that the Lord would bless you and keep you, that he would draw close to you, that the light of his face would shine upon you, that he would show you favor, and that he would give you peace to the glory of Jesus. Amen.